I'm Jesse Lubinsky. I'm Donnie Piercy. Hi, I'm Jeffrey Heil, hosts of the Partial Credit Podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network. Just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hey, welcome back. Steve here. And today I'm talking with Elliot Seif, PhD. He is an educational presenter, author, school volunteer, and public school advocate. And today we're focused on his book, Teaching for Lifelong Learning, How to Prepare Students for a Changing World. Awesome book. Perfect timing for this. You're going to learn so much. Thanks for listening. And oh, by the way, before you go, it'd be so cool if, you know, you, there's many different ways you could support the podcast. One of them is by going to my website, stephenmaletto.com, and uh, um, joining the uh, email uh, the email list. What do you think about that? That'd be cool. Another way would be that you could uh, go there to stephenmaletto.com slash reviews and uh, uh, leave a review, say some nice words. That'd be nice. Another way would be on the front page of my uh, website and in an area called donations, you could go in and click on uh, um, buy me a coffee. And uh, when you go in there, you know, maybe donate a dollar or two um, to help the podcast uh, meet its bills and deal with its uh, <laughs> needing to upgrade gear and, and to, to use the different programs that it does. That would be so cool. And, and then finally, another way would be, you know, just simply uh, to share it with a friend. You know, you say to somebody, say, hey, you ought to listen to this episode or listen to this podcast. Um, could you do that for me? One of those things? What do you think? That'd be so awesome. You're cool. Enjoy the show. So at the beginning of the book, I, I use an analogy, which I like a lot, and I'm using it in some of my staff development workshops now, too, and talk about uh, the analogy to, uh, to lifelong learning about how, we, how kids play video games. Believe it or not, I think there's some relevance there. And you think about the fact that kids get kind of addicted to video games. They get reinforced. They get lots of feedback, and they work through levels. They started a, a, a simple level and they worked to much more complex ways of, of doing video games. And, and I like to think that's what lifelong learning is about. It's the education podcast, your favorite show, with lots of groovy guests and they share what they know. So crank it up the tin and let your neighbors know that here's another show with Dr. Steve Milletto. Teaching, learning, leading, K-12. Teaching, learning, leading, K-12. Teaching, learning, leading, K-12, ah, ah, with Dotsty Maletto. Elliot Seif, Ph.D., is an educational presenter, author, school volunteer, and public school advocate. He has served as a social studies teacher, a professor of education at Temple University, and a director of curriculum instruction services for the Bucks County Intermediate Unit, an educational service agency for Bucks County, Pennsylvania. At the Bucks County Intermediate Unit, Dr. Seif provided leadership in curriculum and instruction training and reform, and he developed, led, or participated in more than 50 program reviews for Bucks County school districts. He has conducted professional development programs with numerous schools and school districts throughout the United States and abroad on a variety of topics, including standards-based education, thinking skill development, instructional improvement, assessment issues, and curriculum development. Dr. Seif is the author of many books, handbooks, articles, commentaries, and reports, including a textbook on the teaching of elementary social studies. He has published articles in Educational Leadership, the Journal of the Association for Supervision and Curriculum Development, or ASCD. Dr. Seif has received many awards for his accomplishments, including from ASCD, the uh, Pennsylvania Association of Intermediate Units, the Pennsylvania Association for Supervision and Curriculum Development, and Bucks County Schools. 
Dr. Seif earned a Master of Education degree from Harvard University and a doctorate in Curriculum Research and Development from Washington University in St. Louis. Our focus will be on his book, Teaching for Lifelong Learning, How to Prepare Students for a Changing World. Elliot, thanks so much for joining me on the show. Say hi to everyone. Hi to everyone, and uh, thank you, Stephen, for letting me uh, join you today and, and share uh, my information about my book and my life. Awesome. Well, I'm glad you're here. And uh, it's really cool because as we were talking, I was wondering what the uh, the uh, intermediate unit was. And uh, you explained that to me. So we're like souls here because I'm the director of the of the RISA here in in North Georgia. And uh, and you were did curriculum instruction work for the for a similar soul there in uh, Pennsylvania. That's awesome. Absolutely. Yep. So, uh, Elliot, why'd you write Teaching for Lifelong Learning, How to Prepare Students for a Changing World? So I started my my career, as you said, as a social studies teacher, and uh, I've had many, many experiences over the course of many years uh, in the profession as a professor of education and curriculum developer and professional developer and author. And uh, one of the things I got to do a lot of is to both teach and uh, learn about teaching through the practical idea of doing it every day but also observing lots of teachers, um, talking with administrators, working with curriculum specialists, professional developers, and so on. And as I did all of this work, I kept asking myself, what's the difference between good teaching and teachers that weren't as good? And and how do you distinguish between them? Um, And I began to think about the good teachers and what they did. Uh, they They engaged their students, they had meaningful goals that helped students be successful. They talked about and thought about how to prepare their students for their future lives. Their curriculum was lively and interesting. The students were learning important ideas and skills. Their instruction was very well organized. Their assessments were interesting and clear. And as I learned about all of this over the course of many years, I thought about how can I help put all of that together into some kind of a framework that helps teachers, administrators, people in education see how we can better prepare kids for uh, a lifetime of learning. And so the book came about as a result of all of those experiences and uh, thinking about them and putting them down and thinking about all the practical aspects of, of what they were about. And that's what happened. Um, I sat down one day, I wrote a proposal which got accepted by Solution Tree, and then that's the book came about as a result of all that. That's awesome and uh, very timely in its uh, in your information and such. This is a um, if, if you're an educator and you got to and you're yeah. looking at uh, whether you're going to be teaching a classroom or, or whether you're going to be working with um, those who teach in the classroom. It's uh, topic is well, right well, there needed. Well, if I can add to it, the, the the reason I think it's also timely is that we are living through a, a very difficult and challenging time for both us and for our kids who are going to live in an age of uh, AI, uh, science changes, uh, things happening very rapidly, basically an uncertain and changing world. And they need to be, we need to prepare them to live in that, which is even more imperative than it was in the previous ages. 
You got that right. I, this is, you know, it's funny, just the mention of AI right now, it's a, at first there was a panic, then there was a kind of a lull in the panic as they're like, yeah, I think we could do it. And then all of a sudden the panic came back and, uh, and we're kind of in between in some of those stages now. And, and that's just part of it, right? Um, Absolutely. Uh, good stuff. All right. So at the beginning of your introduction, and it's funny because, you know, when I was in college and as a young teacher and stuff, I used to have skipped the introductions of books. <laughs> and, <laughs> um, and, I, and I learned not to do that. <laughs> and, uh, and yours is one of them. So uh, I'm glad um, as I started reading it, I'm like, yeah. Um, in the beginning of your introduction, you share a John Dewey quotation. And it goes like this. If we teach today's students as we taught yesterday's, we rob them of tomorrow. Why'd you use his thoughts and these particular ones? So first of all, let me just say that uh, each chapter has a quote at the beginning. <laughs> and those of you who, who go and read the book, you might find all of those quotes uh, interesting. But I picked that one um, because uh, John Dewey, who I believe lived in the 1920s, 1930s, uh, the prime of his educational career, was a, was a brilliant philosopher and an educator who strongly believed in um, educating and engaging students in meaningful learning. He started the Chicago Lab School, uh, which became a laboratory for trying new things uh, and, and new ideas in education. And unfortunately today, too many teachers, I think, ignore his good ideas. Uh, a lot of research uh, shows that teachers still are quote-unquote covering content instead of what we call uncovering content. Uh, students are often passive in, in, the, in the classrooms. I have one quote in the book that uh, from, a, from an educator who did some research on this, which says kids stand in the hallways, lively chattering, and they go into class and they sit there and they say nothing for, for 45 or 50 minutes. Uh, so, and teachers don't often teach the key ideas or the learning to learn skills that they'll need in the future, which John Dewey was committed to trying to get people to do. So um, as a, lots of research supports the idea that we're not, in, we're not doing what John Dewey thought we should be doing in today's world. And uh, so uh, that's why I use that, that quote, because uh, we, we can go back to John Dewey, probably even before John Dewey, but we can go back to John Dewey and know that a lot of the ideas that we need to do today were part of his philosophy and his thoughts in yesteryear. And I love that. This is, uh, you know, one of the things uh, that I lament is that there's a lot of a, a historicism, if you will, where the, right. where there's this missing, not, not you know, it, they miss the, the part where it's like, okay, I just want to tell you, some of this has been done before, and there's a, <laughs> right. and, and there's a lot of talk about it way in the past, and now we know more about the brain and can connect it all. And Exactly. And it's like, you know, so let's talk a little bit about John. So I loved it when I, when I, when I opened it up, and the first thing I see is, is a comment from John. So I, right. awesome, kudos there. All right, so one of the things that you're going to uh, talk about, it's right there in the title, is lifelong learning. So what's that mean to you? What did as you were creating right. this book, what is it that you have in your head is what lifelong learning is? Right. So at the beginning of the book, I, I use an analogy, which I like a lot, and I'm using it in some of my staff development workshops now, too, and talk about uh, the analogy to, uh, to lifelong learning about how, we, how kids play video games 
believe it or not, I think there's some relevance there. And you think about the fact that kids get kind of addicted to video games. They get reinforced. They get lots of feedback and they work through levels. They started a, a, a simple level and they work to much more complex ways of, of doing video games. And, and I like to think that's what lifelong learning is about. <clears throat> we start at a certain level in school. Um, we learn to read. We, we learn some basic thinking skills. We learn some basic information. And then we gradually work our way up to more complex ideas, um, more, more thoughtful ways of thinking about life and, and the world we live in. Uh, more about science, more about the social world we live in, and so on, until when we graduate, we should be, if, if everything goes right, we should be at a point where we're still interested and curious in learning and growing, uh, and we have a basic foundation that we've built, which allows us to continue after school is over. So it's like video games. We we, we continue to grow and grow and grow, and we can continue to grow more. And we need to be prepared for the growth that we need over time by going through these levels. And schooling should be like that. It shouldn't just end at 12th grade. It should continue beyond that. I, I have a quote that I like a, a lot, that uh, students are in school for about 13 years, excluding college, but they, but they need to be learning way beyond that. They will, they will in life be in life for 60 or more years, most of them. And so we need to prepare them in those 13 years to grow in those 60 years or more. I, I love it. That's, and, and it's so awesome because it is, and it's so true, by the way, you know, there's no, you know, there's no, okay, I'm done learning. And, uh, you know, instead it just gets more complicated and, and uh, there's more stuff you got to make yourself aware of as you, as you progress in age. And, and unfortunately, in a, in a lot of situations, I don't think people mean to do this, but kids do stop learning. They, they graduate and somehow they get turned off to being curious, to being, to, to, to being curious about the world, to being interested, to read, um, to, to train for new things. They, somehow that stops. And in today's world, that is a really unfortunate situation. Oh, you're so right. It is. It's just sad because it's like, uh, you know, we, it just, you just learn. There's so much out there to learn. I, you mentioned that word curious. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, there's so much to be curious about and uh, there's so many different ways of, of getting a chance to learn without having to take a, a formal class or something that uh, if nothing else, that you recognize that you can learn, uh, keep learning about something. I, my, my favorite thing is I, I'm not really good at working with, uh, motors and engines and stuff like this, but I've fixed my lawnmower a couple of times, thanks to uh, people online. So, <laughs> right. Right. And today that all of that is available. Very much so. Which is want to do it. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> uh, you know, before we go any further, I want to take a minute to point out some formatting that you've included. And at the end of each chapter, you include a segment called helpful websites and Re reproducibles. Uh, what are you hoping that the reader will do in these sections, and why would you include them? So the book is packed with lots of ideas uh, and practical suggestions. Uh, there's a chapter on instruction. There's a chapter on goals. There's a chapter on assessment. There's a chapter on curriculum. All of that has uh, lots of information. And 
first time through in the book, I think it's hard to absorb all of that. You get a you get an understanding of the basic ideas, but um, you really have to sit with those ideas and and um, be more thoughtful about them and dig deeper, as we're going to talk about later, or dig deeper into those ideas. And so the websites and the reproducibles are designed to help the reader think further about what's in each chapter to extend thinking, uh, to tie it back, and to also help them tie it back to their own schools and classrooms. How can these ideas be practically implemented and thought about in relation to your own um, classroom and school situations? There's also another thing, which I don't know if you saw, there's uh, a, a free book guide uh, that, that I've developed, which you can uh, download in addition uh, when you buy the book. And also that helps people to think more deeply, gives them also more suggestions and ideas of how to think more deeply about each chapter and to apply them to their own situations and circumstances. And then finally, I do have a website. Um, uh, I'll mention it now, www.lifelonglearninged.org, which has follow-up activities as well. It has blogs, it has resources. So there's lots of ways um, to continue the dialogue, to continue the conversation, to continue the thoughtfulness about the book and its chapters, both through the end of the uh, the end of each chapter, what's located there, plus all these other ways as well. That's awesome. That's uh, and that's that's an incredible thing because you're, you're you know practicing what you're preaching there as you're uh, giving resources to be able to help people um, think a little bit more about what they're doing and create activities and such to, uh, to get the kids doing. So uh, I like that. So the, the readers, yes, you got stuff to, you got to stuff you got to follow up on and keep, uh, yeah. Extending your understanding. So I love that. love it. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, chapter one is tight. And by the way, I'm not going to go through every chapter book. You got to buy your book. All right. You got to, you got to <laughs> buy the book. All right. But we are going to, there's a lot of information here and uh, we could be here for several hours if I did do that by chapter by chapter. But I am going to go by a couple of chapters. So here we are. Uh, yeah, chapter one is titled, Understanding Educator Goals That Support Students' Lifelong Learning. There are four key goals in this chapter. Can you sh share that in this section? Can you talk about those just a little bit? Sure. So I'm thinking about those goals now a little differently. I think about them as what I call indicators of, li of a lifelong learning education. So if you went into a school and you wanted to know, is this a school that is committed to lifelong learning education, is doing things to prepare kids for the future? How would you know that? How would you know that? And so these four goals are basically, I think of as four indicators that kids are being prepared. So number one, is there in the, in the school and in the classrooms what I call a growth-oriented learning environment? Uh, are students being prepared uh, with uh, with a growth mindset, with the idea of being curious? Are they being uh, encouraged to be curious? Are they uh, learning that effort makes a difference? Are they learning that mistakes are normal and that we learn from our mistakes? Are they being challenged? Do they see the uh, learning as a challenge to continue on? Um, all of those things uh, are critical to uh, um, creating a, a lifelong learning environment, 
lifelong learning education environment. So that's one of the things I look for when I go into a school. Are, is there a welcome? Are, are kids welcome? Are they engaged in learning? Are they curious? Are they interested? Are they challenged? All of those things make a difference. And I would recommend if anybody is in, more interested in this idea of a growth and growth mindset, Carol Dweck, who is a key researcher in this field, has a number of YouTube TED Talks, which are worth uh, looking at to see what, if you want to further pursue this idea. A, a second thing about uh, the, a school uh, like this is that when you go into classrooms and you watch what teachers are doing, they tend to emphasize not learning a lot of discrete facts, but they tend to emphasize understanding. Uh, they tend to uh, learn about ideas and concepts and big ideas and um, learn to understand the world a little bit better, but also they're, they're learning a lot of lifelong learning skills. So they're learning how to uh, do research. They're learning how to think. Um, they're learning how to communicate well, to write well. They're learning how to collaborate. These and some others are the kinds of things I look for to see if teachers have these goals for kids. Are they preparing kids with these kinds of skills that they will need to continue their education in the future? This, the third thing I look for is are there opportunities that the teachers are providing for kids to work independently, to apply and deepen their learning? So are they taking what they know about research skills and doing projects? Are they doing projects independently on their own? Um, are they writing essays after they've learned how to write essays? Are they doing a lot of writing in the classroom? Are they doing communicating? Are they doing presentations? Are they doing the kinds of things um, that show that they can work independently so that, again, when they graduate, they are not only have learned these skills, but they've learned how to apply these skills in real-life settings and situations. And then finally, this is one that um, I don't actually find we do enough with in schools. We don't even think about it enough. And that is, do we provide kids with a lot of broadening and enriching experiences um, that go beyond the school experience, that go outside the school experience? Do they go on field trips? Uh, do people do people come in and talk to kids who are doing things in the outside world? Um, do, we, you, do we have a lot of um, extracurricular and enrichment activities? Um, do we have kids where, where they're learning a lot of things that are outside the school purview? Um, uh, what what are they doing outside of school to broaden and enrich their learning? And with today's world, with video and so on, you can really bring a lot of that into the classroom as well. So those are four things that I look for that I think are really critical as indicators that a school is actually involved in preparing kids to be lifelong learners. I love that. I think uh, that's kind of missing sometimes looking at <laughs> you know, how we get there. It's, it can be rhetoric and said, and, you know, all right. fill in the buzzword type thing. But uh, I think it tends to be missing from uh, what they're, you know, what somebody's really looking for. Are we doing this? So you can walk around a school and really get a, a, a pretty good feel for that. If, if you're given the access to schools and classrooms, you can get a pretty good feel pretty quickly of, of whether a school is uh, a, a lifelong education center or not. 
So right, so right. The, uh, you know, by the way, you, just a little bit ago you did this, um, and we it's been mentioned a couple of times, so let's talk a little bit about deeper learning. You, you talk about this um, throughout your book. Um, so can you tell us why it's important, and could you maybe give us an example of what it looks like? So one way to think about deeper learning is to contrast it with superficial learning. So um, in uh, when we're doing a lot of superficial learning, and that's not necessarily all negative. It, it's the idea that we're learning, like if you're learning about the American Revolution, you're learning a lot of facts and information, uh, but you don't put it all together so much as just learning about Paul Revere's ride or uh, some the incidents that took place, the tea, the the uh, the uh, the uh, Tea Party, the Boston Tea Party, and so on. So we can learn about all that information, but digging deeper means we also start to think about why did that happen, what caused it to happen, um, how did the, how does all this information fit together into some kind of cause and effect uh, relationship. Um, how did all of that affect our future? Um, or the idea that we wanted to be independent and a republic and not a, no longer a monarchy. So how did that affect how we proceeded, how the Declaration of Independence was written, and so on? So digging deeper means the first learning often is that those facts and that information, but then digging deeper means we start to get dig more deeply into relationships into analysis into interpretation and so on in my view of instruction i think uh we often have to have both it's it's not an either or here unfortunately i think a lot of the literature seems to imply that you get into deeper learning without the superficial learning but you have to know a lot to dig, dig deeper so i have a series of stages in instruction where the first this, what's well, the second stage of instruction is, uh, is getting into information phase, a foundational phase of information, but then digging deeper means really uh, learning more about it. I have in the book um, a, a, an example of a unit of study uh, by a physics teacher where the, the uh, end activity is to uh, create an amusement park ride. And uh, all of the information that the kids are learning in physics, which basically is not deep learning, gets applied to how they how you actually develop that ride, the physics of the ride, and so on. And that's a really good example of the difference between the surface learning and then the digging deeper learning in, in creating the ride. You're actually applying what you know, doing analyses, interpretations, and so on. I love that. The, uh, that gives a good idea of the difference. Yeah, I like that. That's, a, that's awesome. Because, you know, there's, uh, you know, it's funny when, when you look at the difference between if a, a child is asked to create something, at certain ages, they're going to just create without any sort of rules which is right. really cool. Um, but then eventually they do learn that there are some rules, especially um, put out there by the, like the law of physics <laughs> or, <laughs> or gravitational laws or something like this that make you have to f abide by certain rules. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> and, uh, and you could really make that part of uh, understanding of how that ride 
could function or not function or could work. And I like that. That's a great example. The, uh, um, and I still think it's <laughs> some of those rides. Yeah. I'm not sure it was ever meant for me. Okay. That's <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> um, I know the feeling. <laughs> um, the, uh, you know, one of the things in, in chapter three you talk about is assessing for lifelong learning. You share that there are three types of assessments, diagnostic, formative, and summative, that lead to improved performance. Could you share a little bit about this? So, all first of all, we tend in education, teachers tend in education to focus on summative assessments. And the summative assessments are uh, generally uh, the multiple choice, uh, the multiple choice short answer tests, because those are easy to grade, relatively easy to grade. And if you think about those uh, tests and that kind of a unit of study where you where you uh, have a lot of learning that takes place, and then you give that final exam, and then you go on to the next unit, there isn't necessarily a lot of room for improvement on the part of kids you know it's like either they pass or they fail or they get a good grade or decent grade or they don't and then then you move on right so diagnostic and formative assessments are designed to uh, supplement that to make that uh, learning more about improvement and and uh, synthesizing with what you already know, then the then the focus on uh, summative assessment. Uh, so in uh, a diagnostic assessment, you you learn about does the do, do my kids uh, already have knowledge base and a skill base, uh, and I'm I'm just teaching the same thing that they already know. Why am I doing that if that's the case? So if they already have that knowledge and skill base, I can move to a more advanced kind of a learning than I would if I didn't. On the other hand, if they have never had uh, writing, uh, the writing process and don't know much about how to write, it doesn't pay for me to tell them to write something if they actually don't know the process. So I may have to go back and teach or reteach something that I thought they knew, but they didn't know. So diagnostic, uh, diagnostic assessment is really important. I have a four-phase model of of learning of um, instruction. The first phase, phase I call set the stage, where diagnostic testing is really a critical part. Diagnostic assessment is really a critical part. Uh, formative assessment also is critical because what we want to do is uh, learn how much kids have learned. And if they don't know what they are supposed to know, I have to go back and reteach it. Or if they don't, if they can't perform a skill, I need to, um, I need to teach them again and, and we need to improve their skill-based learning. So continually using formative assessment through self-assessments through lots of different ways um, is really critical. So I like to think the the array of assessments, diagnostic, formative, and summative, uh, uh, using all of those is really critical. And the more you use the diagnostic and formative assessments, the better. There, there are a lot of uh, teachers now and uh, educators who are talking about grading for growth and assessment for growth. And that's really what this is about, using assessments 
to grow learning as opposed to just see whether kids know it or don't know it. It's so powerful. That makes it clear. Oh, it makes it very clear. I mean, it's so powerful because you know, a lot of times, like you, th- you said, a lot of times it's for whether it's f- for quickness, speed, um, you know, kind of bring things together and move on. Um, right. We we can get stuck as educators in the world of summative as opposed to taking time to find out whether they're even following you or not. <laughs> exactly. And in the book, there's lots of different examples and options for different kinds of formative assessment. Quick things like check for understanding along the way, just to make sure that kids are getting what you think they're getting. These don't have to be complex uh, assessments that take a lot of time. There are lots of ways to do it in simple ways and also to use assessments that help kids self-reflect on their learning. So just asking kids, what did you learn today? I mean, basically, what did you learn today? Sum it up for me in a, in a quick sentence or two, turn it in, and I get a pretty good idea of whether they're on track with me. Yeah, I love that because that's something that uh, you know, it's too easy just to say, okay, uh, that was a good class. Good to see you here today. Uh, um, clean up around your desk and uh, see you tomorrow. And uh, instead, you know, maybe trying to figure out whether there's any misunderstandings or um, understanding of what you were just doing. Right. I love that. Exactly. Uh, uh, we're, we're getting close to finishing up, uh, Elliot. And I, I, one of the things I want to ask you is if, if you were the closing speaker of, uh, for an audience of teachers, you know, this coming summer and you were talking to them about teaching for lifelong learning, What's something that you would want them to be thinking about as they left your talk? You know, they get talking to each other about and so forth. So I think teachers are pretty practical. They like, they like things that they can do in the classroom. So all of these ideas are really important. Don't get me wrong. But I, my experience is they want something they can bring back to the classroom the next day, if, if that's at all possible. So I probably would emphasize what I alluded to as I talked to you before. I would probably emphasize organizing instruction into these four phases that I talk about in the chapter chapter two on instruction. Um, so the four phases uh, are a first phase is called setting the stage, where you set the stage for learning, you build curiosity, you, you uh, create a challenge for kids, you might use an essential question, uh, and you diagnose where kids are at before you actually get to the learning that you that you want to uh, use in the, in the rest of the phases. And then the second phase is called building the foundation, where I practice a skill I want kids to learn. I teach for, I teach a, an understanding or an idea and I teach facts. I teach a basic, information, ideas that are critical for this particular unit. And then the third is uh, to um, extend learning and uh, to apply and deepen learning and to create independent learning. So there might have the kids choose a project to do uh, that builds on what they've learned and do something independently. And then the fourth phase is what I call closure. And that means that uh, the kids are able to complete their work. There is a summative assessment of some kind. And if they're doing projects and other kinds of learning, they do sharing there as well. So my hope would be 
for working with teachers this summer uh, and talking about the book is I would try to show how my ideas can be applied through those four phases so that if teachers organize their instruction in this meaningful way, uh, they will be promoting this idea of lifelong learning. Excellent. I, I love it. Love it. The, uh, um, by the way, I, I have to ask you, so do you do talks like that? I do. I don't do a lot of, I try not to do at this point in my career, a lot of professional development, but I, I am doing some. Yes. Oh, excellent. Through, through our, through the publisher, through on my own as well. Excellent. The, uh, all right, Elliot. So um, you, you told us a website before it's time to give it to us again. Uh, you know, if someone wanted to follow up and connect with you and, or learn more, where would you send them? First of all, I would send them to read the book. Nice. <laughs> nice. And then the, yes, through my website, you can contact me through my website. There's also blogs on my website to follow up on a lot of these ideas and resources and, uh, and other things as well. And that is www.lifelonglearninged.org. The, uh, um, awesome. And I will have that information in the show notes so that they can find it and uh, uh, very easily and, and go to those sites. So good stuff. Uh, I had two last questions I want to ask you, Elliot, and they, I like to ask these of my guests. And the first one goes like this. How do you overcome feeling like you may want to quit or give up? <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's, uh, can be a, a, a difficult challenge. Um, I, I think for me, uh, I feel like even though I, sometimes I feel like I'm blowing in the wind, um, I think there's a, a, a really strong community of people out there that, um, are doing some phenomenal work. Teachers, educators, uh, people, authors, writers, people who do a lot of these things. And um, uh, they're also committed to improving education. We're not all committed in the same way, but we all, I think, have the same goals in mind to prepare kids for their future for their and to make education uh, a better experience for all kids. So that's one, um, one thing that keeps me going this community of educators. A second thing that keeps me going is uh, that uh, I think small changes make a big difference. Uh, there's actually a book like that. I can't, I don't have it in front of me, but something like small changes uh, a, 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 of an, an educator writes about the idea of how, how you can take a small change and make a really big difference. And so I, I see these small changes all the time. I see changes in learning environment. Uh, I see changes in in what people are thinking is important for kids to learn. Um, so those small changes keep me going. They reinforce the idea that we can make a difference. I don't think we're going to get to the point where the huge changes are going to happen overnight. But small gradual change can really make a big difference. And I as I see that happen, it cheers me on, and I'm I'm happy to see the that we're moving in the right direction. Love it. That's awesome. Good stuff. Hey, last question for you: Do you have a teacher in your past who made a difference in your life? If so, who was it? And what would you say if given the chance to say thank you? Yeah, I had 
I had two teachers who uh, strongly affected me. Uh, both of them happened to be English teachers, uh, by the way. I had one teacher in high school who, the, the, this one teacher was the only teacher who really taught me how to write. Uh, she would uh, edit my work, uh, show me what I needed to improve, but then leave me to do the improvements and uh, and reinforce the idea that what I did was successful. And so writing became more of an obsession for me when I was in high school. I, I, was, I was a fairly decent writer, but I became a much better writer because of her. So her work with me was really important. Then in college, I had a, a teacher who uh, was not a full-time professor. He was uh, a non-tenured teacher. He was there for, for a year, and he was a poet. His life really was about poetry. And he had us read uh, books that I never would have thought of as college-level books. So, for example, he had us read Alice in Wonderland and, and uh, talk about that. And I learned from him that there were there were all kinds of books that I would have dismissed as uh, relevant, important, and useful. That reading was was part of your life experience, and growing in many different ways was important. We had wonderful discussions in class. Uh, grading wasn't really his thing; it wasn't important. He just loved to get people to read, uh, to share his poetry and so on. And so his love of learning um, gave me the love of learning. And and that was really important for me. That's awesome. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing. So, so I say thank you to both of them. It, excellent. I love that. <laughs> That's so cool. And it's neat because of different time frames in your, in your world too, as right. you're, you're growing. I love that. Elliot, thank you so much for sharing your book, Teaching for Lifelong Learning, How to Prepare Students for a Changing World. What an awesome book. The focus is amazing, as are the all those resources that you provide. I love it. Wish you the best in all you do. Thank you, Stephen, and thank you so much for this opportunity. It was a wonderful experience. I enjoyed talking with you. It, it really turned out to be more like a conversation than, <laughs> than a presentation, and I loved it. Thank you. And your questions were wonderful. So thank you, and I wish you the best of luck, too, in, in, in doing these podcasts. Hey, you have been listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast to help you help kids achieve their dreams. Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 is a member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 is a member of the podcast network based in Canada called Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right. The opinions expressed on Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Hey, thanks for listening. It would be awesome if you visited my website at stephenmaletto.com and connected with me, left a review, and listened to more episodes. And by the way, you could also share it with your friends, with your family, and uh, your colleagues. Thanks so much. You're awesome.